Today on Embark, part one of my conversation with filmmaker Arielle Noble on what it means to belong. Words are popping out at me. And one of the words that keeps popping out consistently my whole life is the word belonging. And this feeling that I think I've just always had that I didn't quite belong wherever I was. And I think that's a pretty normal feeling that a lot of people have and don't talk about. And I also know that belonging is like a basic need, emotional need of, of humans. Hi, and welcome to Embark. I'm Liz Solar, and today one of my favorite types of people is in studio, and she is a filmmaker and a storyteller, and actually she's one of my top people in life now. We met during pandemic and had amazing conversations about having amazing conversations and storytelling, and I'd love to introduce you to Ariel Nobile. She's won several awards for her series Belonging in the USA, the story of Michael D. McCarty, and there are several others after that, won Best Documentary from Border Scene Film Festival, and an Excellence Award from Docs Without Borders Film Festival, and all other types of accolades that we can put in the liner notes. She also directed and produced Belonging in the USA, the story of Alicia and Antonio, and Belonging in Boulder, Unexpected Stories from Your Neighbors, which won a Hugo Television Award of Merit. What else can I tell you about her? She founded Legacy Connection Films in 2005, where she produces broadcast quality documentary films for families throughout the world, a documentary of those who have come before us so we can memorialize or give them the legacy that they deserve, perhaps. I know we just talked about family, so (laughs) I'm I'm going to temper my remarks right now. Um, Ariel has channeled her lifelong passion for story into helping families connect in deeper ways. She is a master interviewer. She connects to all generations and purposefully listens to families so intently that it can have revolutionary impacts. And I want to go back to that listening and revolutionary piece sometime in the interview. But first, I'd like to introduce you to Ariel Nobile. Hello. Hi, Liz. I was laughing in your intro. I hope that's okay. But I just was, if you could see me, I'm just a big smile. Um, Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I mean, I love the laughter. So bring it anytime. (laughs) And it's I mean, it's been so long since we spoke, and now you have this big life change coming up. Oh, yes. We are moving to my husband's hometown in Argentina in two weeks from Monday. So why Argentina? I mean, because it's your husband's homeland, or are there other connections? I feel like this is a past life thing for me. I've been drawn to Argentina since I was 18. And I met some Argentinians when I was traveling in Europe and Italy. And I was like, I need to go to Argentina. And so the first time I went there was in the year 2000, before I knew my husband. And I fell in love with someone else (laughs) and the country and spent a couple months just traveling around um, exploring. And I just found the most amazing, welcoming, warm, loving people Um, affectionate, hilarious, like sort of self-deprecating in this way that I need so much. And I also, on that first plane ride to Argentina, I was reading my Lonely Planet guidebook and I read about what they then called the Dirty War, which I now call a genocide, that had happened in Argentina in my lifetime that I'd never heard about, even though I studied Spanish since I was nine. And and going there and spending those two months and having just such I mean it was it was a personal revolution that whole experience for me and coming back and trying to reconcile the people that I had met who welcomed this stranger from another continent into their homes for months I mean literally I had 
I didn't stay. I stayed in the hostel for the first five days. And then I never stayed somewhere without someone inviting me. People just opened their homes to me. And I couldn't really reconcile how could that happen in a country that's that way. And I've kind of been exploring that question ever since. Well, you explore a lot of questions. And one is the question of belonging. And it it is kind of, I don't know, a funny thing that you have uh, made films about belonging in America. And now you'll kind of no longer belong in America. Well, and, and I will say, I, I just want to point to the fact that I intentionally don't call it America because I have some of my Argentinian friends are shocked that we call ourselves Americans and that we refer to this country as America because America is North and South. And so it's sort of this way in which we contextualize ourselves that is eliminating all these other identities that also resonate as being American for themselves. That's just a little, a small point, but also I guess I realized that I'm doing this amazing process. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I was in this packing process and this big move that we're doing. I've never lived abroad, um, meaning I've never like brought a ton of stuff. I've like backpacked. And so we're bringing a container of stuff, but the container can't contain everything. And I realized in this process that the most precious possessions I have, you know, obviously my family and my cats are the most important thing, but then I have my guitar and I have my 30 years of journals that I have. I have like 85 to 90 journals. Those are my prized possessions. That's my treasure. And my biggest anxiety in this whole process has been, what am I going to do? I don't want to put these journals in a shipping container that, you know, hopefully will arrive. But if my couch goes down, I'm okay with that, you know? And so a friend of mine said, why don't you photograph them all, you know, page by page, and then I will at least have a backup. So I'm doing that. And it's amazing. And it's meditative. But what I'm noticing is I'm just glancing, I'm not reading them, I'm just quickly taking a picture, but I'm words are popping out at me. And one of the words that keeps popping out consistently my whole life is the word belonging. And this feeling that I think I've just always had that I didn't quite belong wherever I was. And I think that's a pretty normal feeling that a lot of people have and don't talk about. And I also know that belonging is like a basic need, emotional need of, of humans. <laughs> so I feel like my quest or my feeling of sort of alienation in some ways, and part of it is because I'm a highly sensitive, you know, empath person who notices and picks up on a lot of things that maybe other people don't always acknowledge. And I'm, I kind of can't help it. I can't help being myself. That's part of what I think leads to this feeling of, of not belonging. But it also leads me to be this person who my basic uh, orientation is questioning everything. And so I don't feel like I'm actually excited to live abroad because I feel like I need to zoom out and have the perspective. And I really called my series Belonging in the USA because it's kind of tongue in cheek. I believe if you exist, you belong. I really do. I'm just waiting for that feeling to like catch up to my inner child, maybe. I'm, you know, constantly trying to let her know she belongs and she's safe. I just hope that my my series of films on this topic really express that what I believe is we all belong in the world. Obviously, ultimately, I want this to be a global movement. And the next film in my series, the, the Alicia and Antonia one, is about a couple of Argentinian refugees living in the United States. So I kind of is perfect. I'm going to live in Argentina as I roll that film out. And what that story means here is very different from what it means in Argentina and I actually feel like I can't even begin to put that out into the world until I really feel into how it's going to affect that the people I love there, me doing that. 
Well, that's always the tricky thing about telling a story, too. You're always balancing the need to tell the story or the wanting to share a story with the privacy of people, with what they think, respecting cultural boundaries. Tell me a little bit about how you're dealing with all of that. It's a great question. The story I'm telling is about these people who are willing storytellers. And so there's really no conflict there. It's more about the fact that, you know, in the United States, we're pretty this is a huge generalization, but we're ignorant about not only where Argentina is, because a lot of people think it's Brazil, what language they speak, but definitely not knowing the history there. Like I didn't know. And so when I've shown rough cuts of this film to, I guess I would say mixed audiences, some Argentinians and some US-based, and that's been the beauty of COVID that I've been able to have these international Zoom sort of exploratory screenings. The response has been so vastly, amazing from all sides, but so vastly different. And I keep forgetting because it's a story that I've been holding for so many years now and really been fixated on. It's almost lost its, um, can't explain it. It's like, I'm not saying I'm numb to it because I'm not at all. But I've like, what I love about Alicia and Antonio is like their sense of humor and their just like beautiful essence and the, their life force. That's what I'm making a story about. But I realized for all the United States people, um, residents here who have no idea about it, they are just absolutely shocked because it's a genocide they didn't even know happened. The after conversation for Argentinians and people who know Alicia and Antonio, it's like, oh my gosh, there's catharsis, there's tears, but it's not anything new. Whereas I realized my, my I'm going to say an American audience is completely almost um, flattened by the story because it's so un- unthinkable that a country would do that to its own citizens. I've been processing that reality for 20 years. (laughs) So I'm not in that beginning stage of grief of like what it man's inhumanity to man. But I think that we are at a crossroads in this country, or certainly, I mean, I'm not going to overstate it by saying, you know, we're near genocide, but we are at a dangerous point in terms of we don't acknowledge the humanity in other people, especially when we don't agree with them, all of a sudden it's they've become the enemy, not somebody who has a different worldview, but it's become so deep. And we've talked about conversations. There doesn't seem to be that bridge of conversation to bring people together or that curiosity to, I see you're upset or I see you're angry or you're disenfranchised. Why is that? Your interviews with people in the United States, have you sensed anything that goes on? What what type of people are you talking to? Is there a diversity of, of thought? Well, that's a good question. And I, I mean, what you're talking about is just what literally just breaks my heart. And I attended this amazing um, workshop years ago that reminded me that basically whatever breaks your heart is what you're here to help with in some way or to shine a light on. So that's part of why I also explore these questions and ideas and conversations. And, you know, I want to talk for a second about my legacy films work, because I I would say that what I've learned from that over the years, and I've been doing that 16 years, is first of all, how fractured in so many ways families can be, right? If you want to talk about like the, and I had this amazing woman I interviewed in Argentina back in 2003, Betty, she passed away and she was a healer and she described you know, sort of the micro macro level of family, right? You have your family and and then you have your country and your country is a bigger family. Like we're all part of this human family. But I feel like my experience interviewing all these individuals in big families over the years has helped me to see how we do go beyond our difference. Because obviously we all have difference. And I think we really have limited what the word diversity even 
really means. It does not mean having a token Black person. So diversity is in our families. It's in our own beings. It's, there's so many different ways in which that can be looked at. There is a space that I feel like I am able to inhabit. And I have a feeling you're like this too, Liz, and this is why we connect. I feel like I am a bridge person. And I think because I, I hold a lot of identities myself, and I'm not going to go into what they are because that doesn't even matter. It's just what I know I can really deeply feel into. And so I can, gosh, there are difficult people in my life. You know this. <laughs> and even those difficult people, I know that I am growing and evolving as a human being because I can see their humanity even when they're triggering me. And that's what I push myself to, that standard. And I, and I do facilitate, I mean, my, after my screenings, one of my favorite things is those really hard conversations that I facilitate. And it's been kind of heartbreaking because it's not the same on Zoom to do that as to be in the room and have that energy. But people are really confused. That's what I feel. Like people from all, I mean, let me say, let me, re, let me go back. White people are very confused. I'm going to make a huge generalization about white people. <laughs> But that's sort of the data I've received from all of these interviews that I've done and all of these conversations I've hosted. Now, I'm not saying all white people, but a lot of white people are very confused. And COVID has exacerbated that because the rug in some ways feels like it's been pulled out because the myth of the good white person is being chiseled away bit by bit. You know, meritocracy and all these things that have to topple for us to all be fully human and to be able to recognize how in dehumanizing another, I dehumanize myself. All of those things are necessary. We have to completely transform and have this, you mentioned it earlier, this listening revolution. Revolutionary listening is, is that. It's being able to put aside your own everything, your identity, your politics, your belief system, your your experience with the person in front of you who you may have, you know, had a fight with an hour, maybe not an hour, let's give it a day, a day before and say, who is this being in front of me right now? Can I be curious enough to receive this person, this being right now and put aside myself temporarily? And if you can do that, I mean, it's a lot to ask. And I don't think it's easy. It's really hard. But when you can do that, what shifts is incredible. It's amazing. It's miraculous. It's healing. And I do, I have faith in humanity. I'm like that Pollyanna and Frank. I do have that rose colored lens to my, to me, to my heart. I believe in the goodness, the inherent goodness of humans. And I think that there's a lot of really, you know, hurt people who hurt people. And, you know, I'm constantly teaching my daughter who's 11 that it's, it's Brene Brown's work. I know you are a fan of hers too. You know, it's not that you do something wrong and you're bad. It's you've made a bad choice. You've done something bad. You are not inherently bad, but we have that so mixed up, probably not just in this country, probably in the world that people are walking around with these shame storms all the time. And when you're trying to push that energy down and you feel so terrible about yourself, it's impossible to grow and be present with someone else. It's just not, it's, it's too big of a leap. So we have to do baby steps. And I think part of it is taking in uplifting and inspiring art, news, uh, books, um, people, you know, really elevating our vibration with what we take in and consume and being so conscious of that. And that revolutionary listening piece is the self part. You know, how am I taking care of my being and my humanity? Right. Check yourself first. Actually, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, give it a day. We often don't 
give ourselves the opportunity or the other person the opportunity. And there are some situations you just cannot. But most of the time, it's good to take a pause like, hey, we're in a circular argument right now and it's just going down the tubes really quickly. Let's take a break. And if you can recalibrate, reset that conversation and everybody just take a deep breath, maybe come back and think about, you know, what is the thing that I said that really ticked this person off? What what triggered them? What you know, what is it about what they said? Did they say something that was true about me? Or did I misconstrue? I think what you said about listening, we misconstrue a lot. And we often listen, we're in conversations and you can almost see people, you know, the wheels turning as they're trying to think of what response to come up with as the other person is still actively transmitting information, like trying to speak to them or speak with them. And listening is a really underrated skill. Oh, and I, I think that's true. And I think that is co- it's making a comeback. I think it's a mess. I think it's going, I think it's going to be the simplest things that are basic to our humanity that we're going to see really developing and being highlighted by the media and things in the, ne- in the next few years. Because as you say, we've sort of strayed from our sense of what it means to be human in its best form in the last few years, all of us. And so to get back to that center point and that, I'm not going to say balance, but just that middle ground and the place where, okay, I don't agree with you. I don't, you know, I'm going to go there. The vaccine thing, right? I know people who are completely against it. I know people who are diehard, terrified of COVID and hate all anti-vaxxers. I know both, I know and love people on both sides of this very present argument. And Mm -hmm. I just think we just, we're all people. We're all making choices. We all need and want the same things. And what matters to me more, and it's it goes, Wayne Dyer always said, you know, would you you could be kind or right. Choose kindness. Choose kindness. It's so simple, but it's not easy to do. So I think it's gonna be this we're at a tipping point, and I believe that we can, and I think that's part of why I'm interested also in living in a country that has, I guess, quote unquote, survived genocide, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what comes out of that? What did they learn? it's like Germany, right? What did, what have they learned? How have they grown? What can we learn from that? And how can we, how can we be actively present to not othering, right? How can we not other? And that includes not othering ourselves, not trying to disassociate from our own experience, but just because you're having an experience doesn't mean it's true. (laughs) In the past decade or so, one of the biggest changes in my life has been to just not believe my own thoughts. I don't take my thoughts as truth. I notice them. I give them voice when I need to, but I also question them because I'm making up stories all day long. I'm a storyteller. It's what I do. I could weave, you could give me a face, Liz, and I could make up a tale as long as, you know, (laughs) all the way down, all the way across the country about what just happened between us. And it is, it's fiction. It's my imagination, which is beautiful. Well, it is a beautiful thing, you know, and it's a great thing for art. It's not always a great thing for sensing reality in our own lives. And I love Anne Lamott had this great quote about... I love her. Right? So, you know, your mind is a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go there alone. And we spend so much time in our heads, and then we assume that people are making up stories about us. Anne Lamott. I love her. There's another, and just a friend of mine had said to me once, you know, what other people think of you is none of your business. Oh my gosh. I've been quoting that to my daughter constantly because we're in that, you know, tween age, which I didn't really like that term before. And now I totally get and wish it had existed actually when I was younger, because I feel like it is this in-between space that, you know, we need to acknowledge more and celebrate in a lot of ways. But yes, hallelujah, 
Amen. And I just actually got three Anne Lamott books out of the library to read in this transition time because I was like, who can help me laugh Mm -hmm. and reckon with what I'm going through? Because it's a huge change and it's really exciting, scary. I mean, people keep asking me how I feel and I'm like, I feel everything. I, that Feist song, I feel it all. That's how I feel. It's like, I got, I got to make a playlist. I actually had a moving playlist when we moved out of our house and sold it in, in the spring. And now I probably need a moving to Argentina playlist, but I wanted to, to say something that, cause I feel like you and I have this in common. And I think it's important when we're having conversations to, to point to the places where we, you know, link up and have that synergy and we both have this performing arts background, right? I mean, I was an actress for years. And I, when I think about what I, I talk about revolutionary listening a lot, what I, what I really am talking about is that deep listening that good actors know how to do. And that's what we're trained to do as actors. We're trained to listen with our entire bodies, mind, spirit, soul, and to read and study character and Um, I mean, studying acting and theater and film and all those things, it's the study of being human. And so I feel like I'm constantly reveling in how simple, I mean, I've been studying theater since I was a young child, nine, and all of that, all those decades of study have led me to this work I'm able to do now where I can really empathize and sit in someone, let's quote unquote, a villain, even a villain's shoes and find empathy and humanity in them because that's what an actor has to do. We'll continue with part two of our conversation with filmmaker Ariel Nobile next week on Embark. If you like what you hear, please share this episode with a friend and subscribe. You can do that at, you know, all the typical podcast places. If you have a story idea or want to give some feedback, Liz at EmbarkThePodcast.com. And as we wade into or dive into another year of perhaps unchartered territory. Let's remember to throw each other a lifeline every once in a while, keep the conversation going, and just be good to each other. I wish you a happy and peaceful new year, and thanks for listening.